Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Please pray with me. Author of life, we give you thanks for these words and for your living word. Be with us this morning as we reflect upon their meaning and transform us in our hearts, minds, and souls. Amen. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God. We talked about a place where Jesus is Lord and where justice, love, and truth will prevail. This week, we kick off Advent by asking the question, okay, so when will that kingdom actually come? The answer in today's scripture is apocalyptic imagery of a cosmos filled with astral signs, an earth filled with people in distress, and the earth itself is shouting out. If we want to take this literally, we could look at the ways in which creation groans in pain, we could look to the increasing intensity of large-scale storms like hurricanes and typhoons. We could look to the increasing lengths of droughts, causing deserts to expand and wildfires to burn bigger and faster than ever. We could look to island nations like Kiribati, Nauru, and Tuvalu that are in danger of disappearing beneath the rising oceans. Even if we were to take this passage literally, I think we would be well on our way to making a case that the end is near. But as I have said previously, when we look at apocalyptic imagery like this, it's more helpful to try and find what values are being expressed in the language. So what I see here is a description of a cosmos that is completely out of whack with the desires of God. This is a scene that is so... In that is so in need of help that not only are the people in distress, not only is the earth in distress, 
but the heavens themselves are crying out for things to be shaken up. This is a world where love, hope, peace, and joy are so far removed that the only possible solution is for the Son of Man, a.k.a. Jesus, to step in and proclaim redemption. Let us consider for a minute how this might relate to our world. Millennials, my generation, are overworked and underpaid compared to our predecessors. We can't afford to get an education without taking on a lifetime's worth of debt. We can't afford health care, so our bodies are falling apart. Many of us can't even afford to move out of our parents' houses or to start families until much later in life than is traditionally expected. It should be no surprise, then, that millennials suffer from anxiety and depression at a rate unimaginable for our parents and grandparents. I'm not saying that these struggles are unique to our generation, but the data that's been collected clearly indicates that these struggles are more pronounced. The despair in the world today is real, and the causes for that despair are just as real. And the author of Luke knows how people respond to despair and warns, be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. You see, whether they're first century Judeans or 21st century Americans, people are vulnerable to the heaviness of life. And perhaps if the author of the text was writing now, he would have included a warning not to be weighed down by opiates. When people run out of hope, something has to fill that gap. And so they turn to alcohol or opiates or anything that helps them forget about the crushing pressure of the world for just a little bit. The first person from my high school class to die was from an opioid overdose. My sister also has someone from her class who fell victim to the opioid epidemic. I have a colleague from seminary who recently lost her son because of an opioid addiction. I share these examples because the despair in the world today is real. It affects people that it, we love, and it may even affect us. So where is the good news? In the face of this despair, this depression, this anxiety, what hope does the gospel of Jesus Christ have to offer? In the middle of today's reading is a parable. In this parable, Jesus tells the people to look at the trees around them. He says, as soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. This, he says, is like the coming of the kingdom of God. If we know what to look for, we can see the signs of the kingdom around us. When we look at the world and see people who are suffering from despair, who are broken or tired or run down, that should be like a sign in the sun, moon, and stars that the world is not as God intended it. When creation groans out in agony, that should be as a sign that the world is not as God intended it. And it is exactly in these moments of offness that we should be looking for the coming of the Son of Man. It is precisely in these moments of darkness that we have an opportunity to see the light of Christ breaking through and saying, your redemption is drawing near. 
during Vacation Bible School, we had a moment at the beginning of each day where we would ask the kids about their God sightings. Where in the previous day had they seen God at work? I did some digging, and this particular language seems to go back to a book series that was published in 2009. But the idea of being intentional about looking for the work of God in our everyday life has deep roots in the church. Notably, St. Ignatius of Loyola developed a set of spiritual exercises that over time developed into something called the daily examine. The daily examine is practiced by prayerfully reflecting at the end of each day on where God has been at work. Just like with our Vacation Bible School exercise, the idea is to train your mind and spirit to become more fully aware of the movements of God. This type of exercise might be like what Christ had in mind when he told the audience in today's reading. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place. Be alert through prayer. That is the instruction. Because in the face of everything that's happening in the world, it is easy to become overwhelmed. To turn on the news is to turn on a litany of things that went wrong today. To be on social media is to receive instant updates on the evils happening everywhere in the world every second of the day. So it's more important than ever in our nonstop world to see the joy. It's important when we're overwhelmed by the sheer scope of environmental destruction to see the people who are working together to make the future more sustainable. It's important when we're depressed by hateful, divisive rhetoric to see the stories of people coming across the divide to love one another. It's important when our health or lack of wealth are making us anxious to see people working every day to ensure that every person has a place to live, food to eat, and the right to live. It's important in a world where people feel isolated and disconnected to see the relationships that bind our communities together. Because in every one of these relationships, we see Jesus Christ at work saying, your redemption is near. You are suffering now, but that is changing. The power of love is all around you. As we begin our Advent season, I encourage all of you to find a way to practice something like this. Whether you keep a journal of God sightings or find a resource that helps you practice the daily examine, or develop something of your own, what matters is that you find those little moments of hope, joy, and inspiration in every day. We celebrate Advent not just to commemorate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, but to anticipate his second coming. And if we all get better at seeing those moments when the spirit pushes back on despair, then we will truly be in the spirit of the season. Amen.